Hello, and welcome to the Scottish Clans podcast. I'm Clint, and we're going to be talking about the Mackays today. So I hope you're ready, and hopefully you enjoyed this episode. If you have any kind of connection to the Mackays, or once again, you're just a Scottish history enthusiast, specifically you love learning about the Scottish clans. We're going to get into that. Now, regarding the Scottish clans, before we start talking about the Mackays, I had a listener fill me in on a legal aspect that is where the, the status of clans currently under Scottish law. And I am grateful for this listener. And this time I am going to mention this listener by name. It was Mr. Neil King, who has been so helpful for this podcast. And he just, yeah, I just am so grateful for his involvement here. Now, in the last episode, first of all, let's talk about the last episode real quick. The last episode was a combination of one of the most spectacular backfires and greatest successes in the history of this podcast, which is now stretching for two years. Last month in September, I believe, is when I officially started this. So here's the backfire part of it. What did I title it? I titled it the last episode of something like, What clan are you from or do clans even exist today? All right, so I posted that episode in the Scottish Clans Facebook group as well as the several other different Scottish history groups on Facebook. I have had more interaction with that post, with that specific episode, than any other episode by far. But here's the backfire part of it. The title of it, which I I, I titled that episode the way I did because I thought it would, you know, you know, how dare you challenge the possibility that Scottish clans don't exist today with the question, or do they even exist today? You know, as a conversation starter, oh, let's see what this guy has to say about this. But here's what a lot of people did. They looked at the post, looked at the question, what clan are you from or do clans exist? And I had people right and left jumping on there with all of the fondness and pride and enthusiasm about their family history and heritage that they could, I mean, you could just a lot of exclamation points, Clan McLean, Clan Sutherland, Clan, I mean, and just huge involvement, which isn't what I intended at all. I just wanted to have a catchy title or a grabby title that would pull people in, you know, dude. Anyway, covering the, the questions that we would discuss in that pod, in that episode, and so many people just jumped on there and I was reading through all of those and I didn't I didn't read through all of them. First of all, if you respond to me personally with with a response that it's not so much aimed most of those were aimed at the group, right? Whether I saw it or not, it's probably not that important to the to a lot of those people that went in and put what clan they were from. Now, when I say that I wasn't after people to really post what clan they're from. I don't want that to be misunderstood as 
I don't care about what clan you're from. That's the whole point I wanted to start the podcast was I do care about what clan you're from, what I'm from, and what does the history really say, and all these things. And that's, that's part of my interest in it. And I don't know how you all are with things that you're very passionate about, but it's, it's almost as fun to discuss it with people in their field as it like, let me use another ex- example of this. I love shooting specifically precision rifles. I love shooting them far, but it's almost as fun for me to spot for somebody as it is to actually be pulling the trigger myself. And so in this subject, which I'm also very passionate about, obviously, to get on here with you all and see what clan you're from and your heritage, I do enjoy that. So that's all legitimate. But um, that, that wasn't the intention. That wasn't the intention of the, of the question. It was just I was trying to throw a title out there and hopefully something that would make people interested and listen to the episode. So I'm reading through and not like I said, not all of them going through all these seeing how many people are posting. I was just so I was it was a landslide of involvement, which is which is great. But there was some part of me that was wondering, like, are these people even listening to the episode or are they just like they just see the title, post their clan and then go on to the next thing in their life? Actually, and this is the greatest success within the first 24 hours, because Podbean gives me statistics, right? It, It reaches out to all the platforms that people are downloading this from, like Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Podbean and and Podbean will give me those stats on how many downloads I have. Now, every time I see this, the, within 24, the first 24 hours of me posting an episode are always by far have the most downloads. And it's usually people listening to the new episode, although not necessarily all of them. But that number for the first 24 hours after posting this episode, was the episode 73 last time, I had, now this, look, I get it. I'm a niche, very niche podcast, and you can't compare me with guys like Joe Rogan or Tim Ferriss or these other people with huge podcasts, but I had 774. I'm just going to tell you the number, and you'll be like, well, that's not very high, but 774 in the first 24 hours was by far the highest number of downloads in the first 24 hours, so it turns out that people were not just, they weren't just looking at the title, throwing their clan on there and bailing onto the next, whatever the next thing catches our super short attention spans these days. People are actually, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them are actually listening. So thank you guys. Thanks for your involvement there. And thank you. And and yes, thank you for actually getting on there and writing what clan you're from. Okay. So that's the cool thing about the last episode. Now, I I mentioned in the last episode, do clans even still exist? And we took the historical perspective, like in the sense that you follow a clan chief who his kids marry is a big, huge deal to you and everybody else in your clan because there's going to be some property exchange going on. There's huge uh, implications in a marriage. Um, You're going to if he called you up and says, hey, I need you to come with me. We're going to go kill some people. You were bound by the kinship to to follow him and do that. You may get involved in an armed conflict over who is going to be the chief. So in that sense, we said no. Clans don't still exist today. Now, 
we took the other side, do clans still exist as a social organization? We have Robert, Robert Burns dinners and we have a tent at the Highland Games and you get a newsletter maybe. <clears throat> and there's even still a chief in many cases. So in that case, um, yeah, there's still a clan. If we are willing to understand what we mean by the word clan and, and when we use that word today and in the in the positive and saying that there is such things as clans today, then uh, then then sure, if we understand what we're, how we're using that word, but it, we understand that it's different than the way the way somebody would thought of that would have thought of that in the 1500s. And if you want more information on that, you haven't listened to the last podcast. Go back after you, we get done with this. You don't need to listen to that one before today's, but you get done with this one, roll back to the next one. Anyway, in that conversation, I made a statement that the Scotch clans are actually a legally organized, uh, a legally recognized organization under Scott's law today. And my friend Neil King here, who I've never I've never actually met, but I maybe if the planets line up and the good Lord smiles on me someday, I'll actually get to meet him in person. But he adds this actually to clarify that statement, which I appreciate this clarification. He says, and I'm just going to read it from him because it's just the way it's worded. I just want to hear it, you hear it straight from him. He said, Clint, I think you said near the beginning of this podcast, referring to the last episode, that clans legally still exist in Scotland. They don't. Chiefs still legally exist, but clans don't. I'll try and explain why, and hopefully I'll try and clear clear up this armigorous clan recognized by the Lord Lion thing you keep seeing in the wiki entries at the same at the same time. The easiest way to try and explain this is by a hypothetical example. Imagine John Doe applies to the Lord Lion for the grant of a new coat of arms. These arms are J.D.'s or John Doe's property, and they descend to his heirs successively by primogeniture. In the jargon, each heir quote-unquote matriculates the arms of his predecessor, i.e. those originally granted to John Doe, with the Lord Lion. Matriculation is the process by which the heir establishes his legal title to the arms in succession to his predecessor, it is to arms that uh, it is to it is to arms what probate is to other types of property. Now, after four or five generations, the original John Doe could have a few hundred living descendants. The heir of the original John Doe, who has his arms from the time being, who has his arms for the time being, is is dead, or in Scottish heraldic jargon, the chief of that extended family. The extended John, the extended Doe family is said to be quote unquote armigorous because it has a head or chief who has matriculated arms granted to an ancestor. Strictly speaking, an armigorous uh, family is one which has a head who has matriculated or would be entitled to matriculate arms if he or she, the head or the chief, could be identified. And in fact, the expression armigorous family seems to have become reserved, in Wikipedia anyway, for those families whose chief has not matriculated the arms granted to an ancestor, usually because that person can't be identified among the thousands of descendants of the original grantee of the arms. Or to put that a different way, an armigorous family is one whose arms, strictly the arms of those chief, of whose chief, are lying in abeyance in the Lord Lyons Register, awaiting someone who can prove his character as heir of the original grantee, which would be John Doe, to take them by matriculation. Now, an armigorous family might 
have been a clan, but it need not necessarily have been because, as we know, not all families were clans. And now, because clans no longer exist, no armigorous families are clans. Because everyone wants to be a clan, you occasionally spot a, a back-to-front logic that runs, hey, the does are armigorous, and that means they have a chief, right? Well, clans have chiefs, so that means the does must have been a clan. But the fact that clans don't exist anymore doesn't mean that in the case of a family that used to be a clan, someone couldn't still come along and prove himself to be the nearest male heir to the last matriculated chief and thereby legally matriculate the arms with lion and be declared by him the chief of the name and arms of doe of that ilk. That doesn't, that doesn't magic the clan back to existence, either legally or as a matter of fact. All of which is a very long-winded way of saying all clans had a chief, but not all chiefs had a clan. Today, no chiefs have a clan because clans don't exist anymore. <laughs> so I know that ruffled some feathers of you, but I, and, and you, Mr. King here is, is speaking from an historical perspective, in which case, yes, that, that's, that's correct. Clans in the sense that we outlined earlier as they existed in the 1500s do not still exist. Clan societies, clans uh, that have um, social gatherings, that have a newsletter, that actually may have a chief. Um, but it's just we got to understand that they're, they're not the same thing. And I think that's what Mr. Kings feels strongly about. And I'm grateful. Um, for me, that explanation helped me understand it better. Um, it's There's a lot of... I don't know if the way I read that really gripped your attention or, or if I just confused you, but um, go on the Scottish Clans Facebook group and it's it's just under the comments for that for episode 73. All right, so just find out where I posted that. Scroll down. There's a Like I said, there's a ton of people posting what clan they were from and then Mr. King weighs in. So um, yeah, that's awesome. All right, so I just wanted to, to let you know that, and let's get on to the Mackays, because that's why you clicked on this particular episode and why you're listening to this right now. It wasn't to have a, um, a, a lesson on Scott's Law, although, I, once again, I'm so grateful that I have somebody in our community who can ex um, articulate that a lot better than I could have ever done. And I and I follow his logic there with the like, well, and his the backward logic that people use to like, well, if there was a chief, I guess there had to have been a clan. And well, there was a guy who had arms that he passed down to succeeding generations. Yes, and I, I do vehemently agree with Mr. King in the fact that not every single surname not every single person who lived in Scotland, even during the time of the clans, was a actual member of the clan, had a chief that he would go to first to settle legal disputes, had a chief that he would be more loyal to than his feudal chain of command to include the king at the top of that command. In fact, there's that's one of those that that government list that was put out in 1587, it was a list of kindreds who were more loyal to their chief than they were to really anybody else in Scotland, to include the king or whatever more immediate 
feudal leader they had at the time. So, so yeah, that's, that's an interesting conversation. So let's talk about now the, the Mackays. Once again, different pronunciations of this. And let's, let's get some clarification of who we're actually talking about now. So the Mackays were, you could, you could pronounce that in, in America, it's usually Mackay or McKee or Mackey. Um, there's, there's other, there's like with a lot of Scottish surnames, there's tons of different ways of that we've brought that into English, especially those that came from linguistically a Gallic background. The sources that most of the information that we pull from, and these, this is not a, a comprehensive list. So just, just to give you, if you want to do some of your own studying, a, a head start. All right. So actually, the Wikipedia article, and I'm not going super deep in today's episode. And so a lot of my information I did pull from Wikipedia. I've already posted some stuff on the Scottish Clans Facebook group. So by the time you're listening to this, it's already there. In fact, you may have already seen it. I posted a picture that may have been in a, a, a German drawing of what may have been Mackay clansmen fighting in the Thirty Years' War on the continent of Europe. And I also posted a link to the PDF version of the Book of Mackay by Angus Mackay that was published in 1906 that's that's uh, you can find on electricscotland.com. So there's my first source that I'll mention. Uh, the second source is Robert Mackay's History of the House and Clan of Mackay that was uh, published in 1829 and Sir Robert Gordon's A Genealogical History of the Earldom of Sutherland which was published in 1813, but was actually written in the 1600s, which was, it's, that's why one of these, this, this is one of those sources that the Wikipedia articles that are well-documented and well-cited, you will almost always, especially if it's in dealing with clans from the far north of Scotland, you will almost always find this source cited in those Wikipedia articles. So I would recommend you reading that. I will make a brief comment on a couple of these. Angus Mackay, who wrote the Book of Mackay in 19, and published it in 1906, he took issue with a lot of the way that Robert Gordon had told the history in that area. In fact, if he, he, he was very, Sir Robert Gordon was very unflattering in his details Either, either they he he tells the story in a way that makes the other clan if if they're not like lockstep with the Gordon Earls of Sutherland. Sir Robert Gordon paints them as e somehow in a negative light or positive, but in a subordinate relationship to the Gordon Earls of Sutherland, when that relationship may or may not have been accurate. And the thing is. Angus Mackay is writing like 250 years later or more, and so he gets the last word. Anyway, you'll see in a lot of those articles, especially the battles that were fought, you'll, you'll see him make what he feels like are corrections to Sir Robert Gordon's account. And that's all I want to say on the sources. The, let me give a brief description on the, the world that the Mackays lived in. The... The, 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 one of the things that's so interesting to me about the Mackays, and basically that's what this episode is, is just some things that I think are interesting about the Mackays. 
and and I have a lot of questions that I have not been able to answer. And I actually confess right now that this episode, I've wanted to do this and I've been in the makings of this for three or four weeks. I don't know if I've ever worked on one single episode as long as I've been working on this one. I've read through the reports of the battles. I've done a lot of, I spent a lot of time on Wikipedia, but I've also spent a lot of time in genealogical history, the Earldom of Sutherland, the Book of Mackay, and reading the accounts there in those different places. And I always try to find some angle, some unique angle to come in that's not just regurgitating the Wikipedia article that you could easily go read. Well, here's a couple of thoughts that I've had since then, and I actually had somebody help me revise my thinking on that. First of all, you yeah, you could go read the Wikipedia article really easily, and some of you have the time to do that, and some of you don't. And you're list- the reason you're listening to this podcast is because you can do it while you're doing other things and getting things done. Either you're driving or you're out working um, in the yard. That doesn't take a lot of ton of brain power to rake leaves or to cut the grass, but you just have to. You can't be sitting and reading something while you're doing it. So you got this podcast playing in the meantime, and and that's that's the value added. And so there doesn't necessarily need to be some unique angle on everything. So that person, if they're listening, they know who they are. That gave me that, that suggested I rethink my, my approach to that. And so that's what this is. But in doing so and in preparing this episode, as long as it took me, I actually have a lot of questions about the Mackays. So I'm going to try to not go too long on this. I'm just going to share some things that I think are interesting. And I hope that, um, that I'm sure I'm going to share something with you that you didn't already know unless you've been studying this in depth for years. But even even if I share something that you didn't, or if I don't share something, maybe there's some questions. I have a lot of questions that were left unanswered. And so we get the, the discussion started. And that's maybe the real value of this episode is there's questions in here that are left unanswered. And let's especially those of you who are descended from the Mackays and you want to know this stuff, let's jump into that. Okay, so let's do it. One thing that's really interesting to me about the Mackays is where they were in Scotland. Very, very far north of Scotland. In fact, if you're staying on the mainland of Scotland, there's nobody to the north of them. That's one thing. I'm always interested in the fringes, the frontier areas. I'm never I'm never so interested in like even within let's just let's take Scotland. The, most of the population lives in Glasgow, Edinburgh or somewhere in between. You know and and maybe up along you know farther on the eastern part of Scotland up into Aberdeen but most of the population is centered in Glasgow, Edinburgh or somewhere in between. And that's kind of what you'd say like the population heart of the country. And because of that, it's it's kind of the least interesting part of Scotland to me. And now I know that it's not because there's a la- the lack of cool history there. It's not that's not the issue at all. I'm just more naturally drawn to the frontier re- regions, and that is where the Mackays lived. The Mackays lived on the very very edge of the mainland of Scotland, and if you are a member of the government in Edinburgh or Dunfermline or wherever it was at the time, they were just so far out there. And I love that. It's exciting to me. 
So in describing the neighborhood of the Makais and who was also out there and what major clans were they dealing with, well, if we're talking about who was to the north or to the west of them, nothing but ocean. So unless we're talking about a clan of seals, which is in a legitimate conversation if we were talking about folklore. But um, the uh, to the east of the Makais, to continue this further, you have the Sinclairs. Now, they also um, controlled a very large swath of property. I guess it's not just the remoteness of the Makais that, that I find interesting. It's how big their territory was, and it was contiguous. Yeah, I like that word. I had to look. I, mean, I, I thought I, you know, like you had the 48 contiguous United States, so I thought I knew what that meant, but I had to look it up just to confirm. I was right, but just so you know, it's not like, <coughs> excuse me, some other clans had a ton of property, but it was kind of all over the place. One of those might be the Murrays or the Stuarts, in as much as the Stuarts were a united kin kindred. And you could make that argument that they were, but they, their stuff was all over. It was scattered. Same with the Cummins. Especially, uh, even that's true, the Cummins before Robert the Bruce crushed them. They, uh, they're all over. The Campbells even. The, now, the Campbells did have a, a big territory that was unbroken, but a lot of their territory, especially pre-1600s, was disconnected and kind of all over Scotland. The Mackays held a huge, vast territory, and it was contiguous. It was just once you cross a certain stream or bridge, you're in – and they came to be called – and I don't know exactly what time period it started to be called this, but you're in Ray country now. And uh, and what it was before that, the Strathnaver, the Mackay territory, whatever it was, you're in their territory. And you, if you just keep traveling, you could travel for a long time in their territory. Now, like I said, you have the, the Sinclairs to the east of them. They had a pretty good-sized territory. They were the Sinclairs were the Earls of Caithness for a, a long time. The to the southeast, you have the Guns, and their territory-wise weren't as big, but they did play a pretty major role in the events that happened there that are described in some of these sources that that detail the the wars and alliances and all the stuff that went on between all these clans in this part of Scotland. Continuing to move clockwise. To the very immediately south of the Mackay territory, you had the Sutherlands. Now, this is a I I went into more detail on what it means that this is Sutherland territory in several episodes back in that little cl uh, cluster of episodes I did about the when the, when you have an earldom and a clan and they had the same name. And the relationship between them. I did. I highlighted three different situations where that was the case, and one of those was the earldom of Sutherland versus the kindred Sutherland. And in this specific case, the Gordons in the 1500s, earlier 1500s, inherited the earldom of Sutherland through the heiress of the actual the 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 male represented the male representative of the original earls of Sutherland. That line runs out. He has a, a daughter. She marries Adam Gordon, who's a younger son of George Gordon, the Earl of Huntley. And the so a junior branch of the Gordons inherits the earldom of Sutherland. And so you have Gordons that have the huge, they're earls of Huntley, and they were huge. And now you have 
this other branch of them rise to pretty high power as the Earls of Sutherland. And in this case, not in those other cases so much, but in this case, the Gordon, Adam Gordon and his descendants, as they inherited this earldom, also inherited the leadership of the kindred that was called Sutherland. So that's kind of an interesting situation. That's and they and the Mackays had a lot of interaction, some of it violent, some of it friendly, over the, the span of a few hundred years. Now, and, and if we want to keep completely with the clans who shared a border with the Mackays, as we get keeping on going clockwise, if, if we we're looking at a map, to the southwest of the Mackays are the Macleods of Ascent, who are a junior branch of the Macleods of Lewis, or Shield Torkel. So there you have their, their immediate neighbors. Now, I might mention two others who had a lot of dealings with the Mackays, but neither of them shared a border with them. One is the Ross clan, and that's another one of those clans who have, you have the Earldom of Ross and the Kindred of Ross had the same name. It's not exactly the same situation as it played out with the Sutherlands, but the reason I mentioned the Rosses is because they did have, like, they had a territorial dispute and some violence that happened over that with the Mackays. They, they, they went back and forth a little bit with the Mackays. But don't get ever locked into thinking that they were, you know, there's only a few instances I can think off the top of my head where you had these two clans and they hate each other. And that's kind of the rule for centuries, unbroken. That's usually the the anomaly or the exception rather than the rule. In in most cases, what is a bitter, violent feud in one generation, two generations later, they might be getting married with each other and actually joining forces in a common cause. So that was the relationship between the Rosses and the Mackays. The other clan I want to mention that does, did not share an actual border of territory with the Mackays, but were interacted with them quite a lot were the Monroes farther farther south. Now their territory, we're, the, we're still in the same ballpark of Scotland, all right? And that, that was kind of the, the immediate world of the Mackays. I did leave out the Mackenzies and didn't touch on them so much, but, uh, and there was interaction between the two of them as well, but um, yeah, that's, there you go. There's a brief look and so easy for you to do a quick Google image search and find a clan map of Scotland. You can kind of see the spatial relationship between all these. So moving forward, what else do I find interesting about the Mackays aside from the fact that they held this vast territory in the very far north out on the fringe of the Scottish world? Well, one, one thing that I think is interesting is it's not, it's not just geographically they're on the fringe, but chronologically they're on the fringe. The Mackays are one of the earlier, especially Gallic kindreds. If you go back to, and I had an episode, I didn't even think of to look it up and, and to be able to tell you how far back it was, but it was a while ago that there was, I did an episode on what I'd learned by looking up the origins of the like clan founders, and that, that's probably the name of the episode, is that the, the Norman clans are easy to recognize because they had surnames from a very early date, and... And they, as they come into Scotland, they, they had that surname where the Gallic tribes, in some cases, you can push their family line back as far, but the surname doesn't develop that early 
but in a lot of cases you can't the directors just aren't there you can't with confidence trace their line back to the early 1100s with the Mackays they are an exception to that they now here I'm just going to give you my speculation real quick in the 1100s and it talks about this in this book that I've mentioned before the outlaws of medieval Scotland written by R. Andrew MacDonald. He talks about the Canmore kings and how basically the length of their dynasty, which spans a couple hundred years, several generations, one uprising after another that they had to put down. They had Fergus, Lord of Galloway. They had Summerled. They had Harold Madison. And they had a group of people with the surname of Macheth. Now here's the thing, let me tell you about the name Mackay. The uh, I, it, it's not, as, as it's spelled in English, it looks like Mackay, and it's not Mackay, it's Mackay. And in Gaelic, that's spelled A-O-D-H. Now, if you go back farther in Gaelic, that H isn't on the end. It's just a D. But during a certain time period, that D was pronounced more like the, like the TH in then. In which case, you see it spelled with a D, but maybe in later sources you see it and them actually use the TH. But you can't tell whether it's uh, like as in with or like I mentioned with then where you have voice in the TH. So the Macheth kindred, that Heth may have been an attempt to bring that into either Scots or English, which is originally the Gaelic Ithe, with pronouncing that D on the end a little bit, right? And so they could hear that TH sound on the end, and they're actually spelling it out, and they're just making it look like Macheth. Macheth may be just another version of Mackay. All right. So we in the 1100s, they were one of those kindreds that proved troublesome for the Canmore dynasty. Well, it didn't go, obviously, because the, they did not prevail in their uprisings. And in their defeat, the one line of thinking is that these Mackays or Macheths pushed farther north because the, the actual realm of the King of Scots First of all, the whole territory of Murray was still kind of questioned. Is it Scottish territory? Is it not Scottish territory? Are they the independent kings who are trying to continue the tradition of the throne going back and forth between Canel Lorne and Canel Gabrine? Or, or do they owe fealty to the Scottish kings? So that was, that was all frontier territory. And that's why you have the Canmore kings are placing... Norman settlers up in there who they know are loyal to them. And so that's where you get the de Moravia family that becomes the Murrays and the Sutherlands. That the, you also might throw the Innises in there and the Roses of Kilrock. And anyway, we could, we could go through the list and that's why they are settled up there is because the Kenmore Kings wanted to put people out there who are loyal because that was a troublesome area. And that is of the two or three different origin theories for the Mackays, that's the one I lean toward. 
look, if I reach heaven someday and I have the real history of what really happened spread out before me, I find out I'm wrong, I'm just going to be glad I'm in heaven. And I'll just shrug my shoulders and say, okay, and go on with all the other cool stuff that there will be to do there. So the other possibility where they come from is that they have roots in Buchan, which is if you look at Scotland and it looks like it has a shoulder, like a, it would be its left shoulder, that, that shoulder is Buchan, that area. There was an Earl of Buchan, changed hands, but several times, but that's not really the point. That the area is where they may have come from because there's a kindred mentioned in the Book of Deer, which was written in the 900s with additions later on clear up into the 1100s that mention a kindred that may be who the Mackays come from. And that actually leads into another interesting thing about the Mackays. So that, that means actually, so in one theory, they go back to the 1100s. They're, they're, they are the Macaths. In the other theory, they're mentioned in the Book of Deer, which says that, you know, which is written at the very latest, the additions to it were in the 1100s. So either way, we're back quite a, a late or an early date for a Gallic clan. So that's kind of interesting to me. And I might throw in there the connection that they have had, that there is a supposed connection. Now, there is very little of what I found that would I, I would consider convincing documented proof. But there is a legend that the Forbes and and I saw two different con conflicting things, the, the Farkersons or the Urkerts. So either one of those two, the Forbes and the Mackays all come from the same stock. And that explains the very close alliance that the Mackays had with the Forbes in the 1500s. They even took, took part with the Forbes in their feud against the Gordon, Earls of Huntley, which I have, uh, I have done a whole episode on that feud between the Forbes and Gordons. So if you want to go back to that and check that out. All right. So, so there's another interesting thing. Their alliances with the Monroes, the Forbes, there may be common ancestry with the Forbes. Maybe they are this early mists of time, Macaths who fled out of the reaches of the Scottish monarchs into the what was then considered Caithness. And I think Harold Madison was the Earl of Caithness at the time, who was no friend of the Scottish kings. And he may have allowed these Macaths to settle, or the, these Mackays to settle in his territory. And that's how they get their roots in Strathnaver, in the very far north of Scotland. What else is interesting about them? They were very involved in the Thirty Years' War, which was a huge conflict on the continent of Europe. I'm not going to go into detail about that. I studied up on it a little bit before doing this. I don't know a ton about it, but I did find out a little that was interesting with the Mackays. It seems, look, there's people from all over Scotland that got involved in that. But one specific leader of the Mackays is interesting here. His, he's Donald Mackay. He's the first Lord Ray, which is interesting because you look at where the place name Ray comes from. It's on the very eastern frontier of Mackay territory with Sinclair territory. And why you would have your title come from the very periphery of your territory. I don't know why that is. There's one of my other questions. Um, the So 
this Donald Mackay, the first Lord Ray, gets, he brings 3,000 men with him to fight somebody else's fight. Now, keep in mind the Scottish monarch, and, and to start with in the Thirty Years' War, it, it was James VI of Scotland, the first of England. And then later, it would, would he, his son Charles I would be the, the next Scottish monarch, United Kingdom monarch, who is supporting a certain side in this conflict on the European continent. And he is encouraging his Scottish subjects to get, go get involved. With that said, these Scottish mercenaries, you might call them, there's a lot of reasons. Some of them were in it just for the money. Some of it was a religious deal. Some of it was there was some political things going on. And then there's um, some of it where they were joining for kindred loyalty, which kind of brings us back to the Mackays. But these Scottish forces, when they went to fight in the Thirty Years' War, Thirty Years' War, they didn't go as like, "Hey, this is the United. It's a it's a UN force, and we have the French over here and the U.S. guys over here and the British guys over here." The Scots would usually go fight for or under one of the other nations that were involved on their side. So in this case, you have three thousand. Mackays, who are actually fighting under Monroe leadership. Okay, we see this this alliance, this connection come back, and and they're actually fighting for Denmark under under their under their the leadership of Denmark. So it's kind of like the the, the Scottish or British king says, "Here you can I'll loan you some dudes. Try to try to give me some of them back alive." So. That's the, I guess the thing that's interesting is that the Mackays, as a kindred, were so heavily involved. Now, am I telling you that all 3,000 of those people's, of those people, of those men that Donald Mackay raised were all Mackays? No, and we've talked about how clans were broken down and that not every single person who fought under a certain chief was either by surname or actual blood kindred connected to him. Some of them were just guys that were on his territory and they were loyal to him. And that explains... I really think that that's how you can explain this this man being able to call up 3,000 guys. That's so much. And just because they thought they owed him some feudal... I, I really do think that this kindred concept played huge into him being able to raise that many guys. But can you imagine that? The chief of the Makais could bring 3,000 dudes onto a battlefield. That is powerful. So that's another reason why the Makais are interesting to me is just how powerful they were as far as manpower, especially on a battlefield. Now, um, one thing that's interesting about this, their involvement in 30 Years War is there's an actual picture that comes out, and I've already posted this on the Scottish Clans Facebook group, this picture of what looks to probably be, it, there's a very good chance that these are Mackay clansmen. Now, this is interesting because it's in the first half of the 1600s, and we get to see a contemporary representation of a kilt. And in this, in this representation, there's, there's four people that are the, the focus of, of, the, uh, of the picture. And basically, everything that you think is stereotypical about Scots, all of the cultural icons... And yeah, you don't see bagpipes in there, but you do see three things I think that are interesting here that I want to point out. One is you see the, the belted plaid. 
plaid, plaid, whatever, or the philomore, the great kilt. You see, three of the four guys are wearing that. And the other person, he's unique in, in several aspects. One, it looks like he's wearing loose-fitting tartan trues, not, not the great kilt. Another thing that's interesting about him is, aside from that he's, he's dressed slightly differently, is that the other three men have very developed beards. And he is smooth-faced. He's the only one in the picture that's smooth-faced. I think the person who drew this or carved it, it might be a wood carving, actually. He was he wasn't just think like looking at this crowd of these weird people from from the far north on the fringe of European civilization and just kind of just abstractly drawing four of them. I think he had four guys in front of him just because of how specific, especially this one character is. So he's dressed differently. He's smooth faced. He does have the long hair that his companions have, but he's the only one that doesn't have a beard, like a full, no kidding, developed beard. So was he younger? And if he is that, that would have been a really easy way to show youth. Maybe his beard wasn't really coming in strong yet. And so he's not trying to, to force it. But the interesting thing is, okay, so what if he was younger than the other three? The interesting thing about the way that they're looking is that the other three in the picture are looking at him, which is interesting. Was he their leader? Was he a very close relative of Donald Mackay, First Lord Ray, who brought these men there? Is that how you get somebody who's so young in charge of what looks to be much more experienced men? Because that kind of thing happened, you know. If you have a close connection... And they didn't think of it as nepotism. In today's U.S. Army, that would be unheard of. Like they'd go to great lengths to to not even look like that was happening. But that was just the course of things in these days. It wasn't, nobody would have thought twice about it. They'd be like, yeah, who's going to be the officer for our, our smaller echelon, our smaller unit within this bigger group? Well, the, the officer over the smaller element is probably going to be somebody who's very closely connected to the chief, either a close relative or a close associate, somebody that he trusts in some way or another. So I don't know. The, the, the caption never says that about really who it is, but it does say that um, – anyway, that's, those are just the clues that I'm using to think, well, maybe this is um, – Maybe this is an actual. They're they're looking. They're all looking at this young guy. I don't know. Maybe they're making fun of him. Maybe I'm just so far off that it's it's ridiculous. Maybe there's like look look at this dude. Um, he's actually also he. Another thing that makes me think that actually he's he he might be a young officer is because I'm looking at the weapons that they're carrying, and these weapons represent the actual description of what they carried. Two of them have bows. One of them has looks like he's got a sword. The young guy without a beard has a rifle. Or I don't know if it was a rifle. I doubt that it was rifled. Actually, it had the grooves on the inside of the bore of the barrel that put the twist on the projectile and stabilizes it over a longer distance. For those of you who are not unfamiliar with the actual term rifle, that's what where we get that word is the riflings inside the barrel. Um, at this stage, I don't think it was a rifle, but it is a firearm, and he's the only one of the four that is holding a firearm, which would be a more advanced piece of weaponry, 
in which case, why would the youngest one have, who can't even grow a nice beard yet, why would he have a firearm? I don't know. There's so, and I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up with all the questions that I pulled out of this. Anyway, I just think that the Mackay, as a kindred, they seem to be very involved in the the Thirty Years' War. So there's a question for the rest of you: What other kindreds, as a kindred, not just hey, there's a guy with this surname and a guy with this surname in there, as a kindred, they're involved in that specific conflict. I think. It's interesting because these men who dress and groom themselves, I don't think they're the only guys in these armies that had, had beards and maybe weren't the only guys with long hair, but the way they dressed definitely set them apart. And they actually fought with distinction in these conflicts. So I, th I think that's fascinating. So what are the kindreds? That's another question. What are the kindreds as a kindred were involved in that particular conflict? I think there's some material for a good historical novel or a movie there and so if you're a filmmaker and you're listening to this you're welcome um, I only charge a very small fee for you using my idea to make a movie out so I mean really it's it's, it's piddly compared to the if you do this well how much money you'll make on it um, what's what's what else do I find is interesting I think I'm coming pretty close to the end um, I've mentioned the alliances but, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll just start wrapping it up and I'll wrap it up with the questions as I go back over all the things we've covered, all the questions I still have. That I have not yet been able to answer. One is. Were the were the Mackays rooted in the Macheths of Scottish history in the 1100s? Another interesting thing about that is remember how last time in the last episode, if you listen to that, I discussed that. In Gaelic, there were other names for a kindred. Okay, so the, one of the examples is you had the Campbells were also known as Clan Diarmid or, or the Clan Odunia. The, uh, and I gave a few other examples of that that I'm, I'm blanking on right off the top of my head. Well, the Mackays didn't only go by Mackay. They, their kindred as a group also were called Clan Morgan. Who's Morgan? He must have been somebody great that they're completely calling their kindred name after him. That That's a pretty big deal. So who is this guy? So questions, questions, questions. The origins, McKeth's connection, Clan Morgan, who's that? Um, how many other clans were involved as a kindred in the Thirty Years' War. Oh, here's another one, piggybacking off of the Thirty Years' War, and them fighting with and under the leadership of their traditional allies, the Monroes. They come back from that conflict to Scotland, and then they take different sides in the conflict. There you have the War of the Three Kingdoms going on, and the Monroe's side with the Covenanters and do great things for them. It depends on whose side you're on. Some of those things were actually be probably considered today war crimes. And the Mackays actually side for Charles I. Interesting, isn't that? So their allies, did something happen in the Thirty Years' War? Why would they pick different sides? Um, and and there, there might 
might be other things going on. I'm, I'm confident that there is, but that's something I haven't yet uncovered. Why would they pick different sides if they're so closely allied? They had greater loyalties pulling them different directions. I don't know. I find that interesting. Um, yeah. Akai's. A lot of questions. Oh, were they really the same stock as the Forbes? The Forbes claimed ascent from a guy named O'Connor, which sounds a whole lot like Conacover, which is pretty close, I think, to the Gallic pronunciation of Connor. You know, the O'Connors were an ancient established kindred. I've mentioned in previous episodes that the Irish clans in a documented, no kidding, un unbroken line, go back much far farther than the Scottish clans as we recognize them today by their current names. And it's, I don't know. So is it possible that the Forbes are descended from a guy? Now that's their, I, th I believe that's their own personal legend. I don't think that's documented so well, but I don't know, maybe that's another question I have. Is it documented? I don't think it is. It's the Forbes legend that they come from a guy named O'Connor. I don't think it's completely out of the realm of possibility that they do. And it sounds a lot like O'Connor to me. Um, what was the connection there with the Mackays, if any? And what else did they do together that were that demonstrated such a tight loyalty that they would claim a common ancestry? I believe that claim doesn't actually pop up until much later sources. I do believe it's mentioned in the genealogical history of the Earldom of Sutherland. But anyway, um, I, I, I'm grateful that you joined with me today, and I hope we made it clear to the end this time. It was just kind of me just talking about, just picking a topic and talking about it. Uh, if you've got answers to any of these questions, or if you have more questions of your own, or if you think I'm completely off my rocker about something, or if there is some huge detail that was totally pertinent that I missed, or if you just want to shout out to the group, go to the Scottish Clans Facebook group, find this episode on the feed there, go ahead and comment down below, and also, I want you to share this episode, this, not this episode, yeah, this podcast, generally speaking, yes, share this with people that you think would benefit from it. And I completely destroyed my time cap that I was going to put on this, but I wanted to talk about it. So we did. And until next time, Martian Leven Drasta. <laughs>